Thank you so much, worship team. And we just want to reiterate that man, we, or the choir, or any musician or vocalist sings or pre- plays here, um, it is not a performance. It is, if God is merciful to us, it is an act of worship with which when Fred leads the hymn to when the choir sings their songs to when the worship team does this or when we have just a good old-fashioned bluegrass hoedown. Can I get a witness in Rocky Mount, Virginia on a Sunday morning? Whatever the style may be, we want that to be an offering to the Lord. We want it done in humility, but with power and passion. So choir, when you sing, you ought to have to take a mint or something for your throat when you're finished with the song because you're about ready to blow a gasket. Bryce, when you play the drums, I want you to break a stick. Jonathan even hurt his hand the other week hitting his drums so hard. We want strings broken. We want to praise the Lord with everything that we have. Because it's an interesting thing, church. When you read through the book of Psalms, And all of those great writings that just portray God and all of His greatness, you can just feel the passion from that. And depending on the genre, depending on the song, there are some songs that are just so slow and they're just so full of emotion and power. It's not it's not loud, it's not a driving rhythm, but there's power and there's passion there. And there are some songs like the ones that we just played, speaking of the change that God does inside of us and how we want that to come from the inside out and not to be like Jesus said. There are many people who serve me. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We want our lips and our lives to match. Amen, church? So I want everyone to be on the same page. And we try to say this every so often, that whenever someone is up here preaching, giving a testimony, doing any type of music, it is not a performance on any end. It is a group exercise in bringing glory to God. That's why when I preach, I say, open your Bibles because we look at God's Word together and also you can keep me on track because you see where I'm getting my stuff. Far be it from me or Rocky Mount Baptist Church if you leave here and say, what a great worship team, what a great choir, what a good-looking music ministry even though he is, what a great uh, environment, whatever. We want to leave saying, what a great God we serve. That's why we do what we do. Every bit of it, if God is merciful to us. Would you take your Bibles and go with me to Luke chapter 10. And we will begin in verse 25 and move all the way over to verse 37. For those of you who have been in church or around church, may be somewhat familiar with this story. It is it is the parable or the story of the good Samaritan. And, and as you're turning there, I would say that as we interpret this and we break this down in the fourth part of our series on Reach Out, we're going to talk today about reaching out to foreigners or people that we just don't know. They could be strangers here in Rocky Mountain, new people moving into the county. But before we get into this text, I want to alert you with the past of church History and Christian history, damage has been done to interpreting the Bible because of this thing called allegory. Hundreds of years ago, there were certain ones in the church that would interpret this story. And you, there were those of you who may not be familiar, the breakdown is basically a man leaves from Jerusalem and he goes down. And he gets robbed and beaten and his, everything that he has is taken from him. He's almost dead. 
His two fellow Jews pass him by. They don't want to get involved. And then a Samaritan, the hated, accursed race, according to the Jews, stops and he mends the man's wounds and then places him on his own animal, takes him to an inn or like a hospital in that day and pays for the guy's medical care. And there were people trying to understand, okay, what does this mean? Here's some crazy stuff. Um, people have attributed that the robbers... Uh, who beat the man would be symbolic of demons or sins, and the priest and the Levite represent the law, and this is where it gets almost comical. The money that the Samaritan gives to the owner of the hotel, uh, that represents the Holy Spirit, and the man who is in charge of the hotel, the inn, is the Apostle Paul. Now, where they get that from, that's what you call the error of when you're reading your Bible of allegory, trying to find a specific, in this sense, the genre is it's a parable. And a parable is a story, and the story, you can think about it like this. It usually has one driving thought. If we want to go to the very end, Jesus says in verse number 37, that you should go and do likewise. In other words, you are the true friend, the true neighbor, the true, I guess we could say, connected person with the ones that you serve and the ones who serve you. He's not giving an allegory here, so to speak. So just wanted to get that right out of the way. So let's begin there in verse number 25. And if you want to follow along in your bulletin, there is a uh, an annotated outline of the story. If you want the Cliff Notes version, that's right there. So Jesus, this is awesome. In verse 25, what came before is Jesus had sent out the 70. If you want to back up and just make a note in your Bible in chapter 10 of Luke, verse 1 begins where Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he was about to go. So here's what happened. Jesus is about to do some amazing things. He has a lot of followers. So what he does is he has a reach out event, somewhat like we're going to do this Wednesday night. Now, This past Wednesday was supposed to be our first ever reach-out event. We're inviting everybody who would like to come and participate to go visit lost people, visit people who have visited us on a Sunday morning, visit shut-ins, visit some of our people with health issues that are not able to come. But we couldn't do it this past Wednesday because of inclement weather. I checked weather.com on my phone and it said, Dangerous Winds. And I said, you know what? And all, all the weather that was supposed to happen, it was just one of those things. And we just thought it would be wisest to put it off. So, weather permitting and Lord permitting, this Wednesday, 7 o'clock, right across the way, if you'd like to come and do that. So, Jesus is setting it up. He sends them out. They go and they preach the gospel. And then in verse 13, there's a couple of towns, Chorazin and Bethsaida. And Jesus kind of goes off on them because what he's saying is that, look, I've sent out my people. They've done amazing things in my name, but yet you still have not repented. If the same things had been seen in Sodom and Gomorrah, remember Genesis, the towns that were given over to a militant type of homosexuality. And I'm just going to, this is scripture. This is what was in there. If you went in the town, you would probably be uh, gang raped uh, in a homosexual manner. That's what was going to happen if Lot had not taken the two men inside his home. A city totally given over to deep, horrific depravity. And God judged those cities. And Jesus is like, look, you guys are so messed up that if the, if 
Sodom and Gomorrah saw the same stuff, they would be repenting. Then, the, the 72 return. And, and in verse 17, they return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So this, and then Jesus starts talking about, I saw Satan fall from heaven. And it, he says, I have given you, in verse number 19, authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. But notice how Jesus readjusts their excitement level. Verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, let's stop. Isn't it neat to see the Lord do some things in church that are good? I don't know, Jeff, I've been in a rough church, man. I don't know if it was God doing it or if it was Satan doing it. I just want to park here for just a moment, and let's officially welcome back our Costa Rica mission team, Jonathan Sweat, Regina, and Jerry Clark, they got back at 11.35. Okay, that's landing. That's landing. That's not going through all that. So they are, by the way, they are the only ones who have an excuse to fall asleep in church today. Amen? All right, so let's just welcome them back. Man, they are back in the house. It, it, it was so, it's so awesome. By the way, I hope that you can come next week and bring somebody with you. They're going to give testimony of what God has done. And I heard that Jerry got, how long was the machete? That long? He got a huge machete. So I don't know if we can bring that. Just be like, this has nothing to do with the gospel. This is awesome. All right? Just like a huge sword. But hey, Border Patrol, a few issues. They wouldn't let you, let you check that in. That would be somewhat. I can't bring this on the plane. Why not? So here's the thing though. That's, that's awesome. And next week we're going to hear some awesome things that God has done and things like the amount of money that was needed to go on the trip was the same without us ever publicizing or Jonathan doing a, a flow chart, putting that in the bulletin. What is needed is such and such number and X amount of cents. The Lord, through y'all's obedience and generosity, provided what was needed to go on the trip. Like, boom, boom, dovetail, perfect. It was awesome. That's amazing. A bunch of us are going to go out and share the gospel on Wednesday. We're going to go visit some of our older people that would love to be here on a Sunday morning. But they can't. People that are homebound. And by the way, this is in the newsletter. Some of y'all are like, was Jeff ticked off in the newsletter? No, um... But I don't think that we're following the Lord if we forget people that society often forgets and we forget out of sight, out of mind, our older people who cannot come but would love to be here. Y'all all right? You know what the Bible tells me as a younger man? That I am to honor the older men and to speak to him and honor him as a father. That means if any of you older men come in and you're mad and you're ticked off, even if you come out of the wrong spirit, If you're not right with the Lord, I am to honor and respect you because you are my elder. And so one of the things we're going to try to do, depending on who shows up, is we're going to each month try to make contact with some of our widows. Amen? With our widows. So if you need anything, we will be there. That's exciting. That's good stuff. To see some of the lives that has been, that, that God has changed through your witness of people coming to Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, hearing the gospel, you explain the gospel to them outside. It's awesome to see how many people have come and have been answers to prayer. But look, we were praying for someone 
We didn't know you, but we've been praying for someone like you, and God sent you. It's an awesome thing, but Jesus is telling the 72, don't get all of your excitement simply, now watch this, simply by seeing and observing your ability to conquer the works of Satan. What you should be ultimately excited about is that Satan has been conquered by God and that we're going to be with our Father forever and ever. Alan Jackson, Amen. That's what we should ultimately get excited about. And if anything, when we see people saved, last few weeks we've seen some people come down here and pray for their friends and their family. In Rocky Mount Baptist Church, where years ago I was told that you didn't even clap. I don't know if that was over the danger edge or if I'm in with both feet, but that's what I was told. And I was trying to concentrate on my part back here, but I think I even heard some of y'all clapping. Y'all getting crazy on us now. But to see God work, it should excite us, yes. It should make us, man, that's great. I can't wait to go on Wednesday night. I can't wait to go on Sunday. I've got the nerdiest question in the world I was asked. But I know on Wednesday night, I'm going to throw it out and Ben Robertson will know the answer. I can't wait to go to church. I love going and seeing the fellowship and the friendship and being able to connect and talk with people. Facebook, that's great. But here's the thing. That should just be like a small drop in the bucket to say, if God is doing this much now amongst us, and I had a great conversation with a Zen Buddhist yesterday who told me that he was God and that I was God. I was like, bro, if I'm God, that's one of the reasons why the world is really jacked up. Right? You know? And they had a great conversation. Hopefully we're going to connect up over lunch and talk some more about that. But man, to, to, to see God work with us being as sinful as we are. And if you don't think you are, welcome to Rocky Mount Baptist Church. You're sinful. Welcome. All of that, and to see God work as much as He does, that ought to blow us away to say, what is it going to be like when we enter into His presence and all of the sin that we struggle with, all of those stresses and anxiety, we've got this ominous date, it's somewhere in the middle of April, and it has like three, it sounds like IRS, it's coming up here in a couple of months. Those types of things, the uncertainty of the job market, the uncertainty of the stock market, all of those things will be, that's in the past. And we've entered into the presence of Christ and no longer when we have to deal with the things that we deal with now. Jesus is saying to the disciples, these guys, look, it's great seeing God God work, but you should go with me. Verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Speaking of demons can't control Christians, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen. Rejoice in that. Because there will be times in your church life, there will be times in your family life to where it may seem like Satan has the upper hand and things are not going to work out for the greater good and that all things are not working out for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And you place your stake in the fact that one day I will be with Him. And then Jesus begins to rejoice there in verse 21. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And He said, I thank You, Father, Lord, in heaven and earth. Jesus Jesus is, is exclaiming. This is the, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Perfect example of the Trinity. He says that You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed 
them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And he turns to the disciples, has a private discussion. Verse 23, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, this is a great moment, right? Have you ever been in one of those great moments? It's just, it seems like when you're having a family share time or maybe around the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. And it seems like everything is connecting. And then all of a sudden, from left, left, ultra, uber, left field, someone says something, and it just totally crashes and burns. I will not belabor you with awkward situations, because I have in my being a magnet for awkwardness. It seems like awkwardness just comes, but I will not go into that. All right, Verse number 25. Here's what happens. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, and notice the innocence of this question, or so it seems. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Time out. Pretty good question. What do I do to be saved? But notice, the question was not given with a pure heart. Jesus responds in verse 26, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Verse 27, this lawyer answered and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This is actually, if you're taking notes, a quotation from the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, there in verse number 5, where he's saying, this is the point of life. You should honor God. Now, now go, go, go with Jesus on this train of thought here. Jesus says, how do you read the law? He says, love God perfectly, love your neighbor perfectly. Notice Jesus' response in verse 28. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and live. So, here's what Jesus is saying. And if you're reading too fast, you're, you're going to go right over it. Jesus is saying this. Now, this, this is tongue-in-cheek humor. All right? Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. That means that your emotions and what really gets you fired up and passionate should be God. It means love for God's Word should conquer everything else. It means that when you compare your favorite hobby and your favorite uh, vacation spot or your favorite type of food or your favorite type of relaxing time, none of that should bear any comparison with how much you love God. I mean, it's almost like Jesus is saying, do this and you live. Jesus is saying, look, if you walk around all the time, I love the Lord. I love Jesus. Ooh, you, know, you, you just can't put enough bumper stickers on your car about Jesus. You can't talk to is enough people about Jesus. Jesus is saying, you do that all the time, 24-7, you're good. Notice also um, that you shall love Him with all of your strength and with all of your mind, with all your strength. Question, do you devote your best to God? Do you do your job, what you get paid to do, do you do that as unto the Lord all the time? Do you do what you do without grumbling or complaining? Have you ever walked out of the boss's office by after them asking you to do something that doesn't fit your job description and it's just downright annoying? And every time you're like, sure thing, sir, Mrs. Boss, I'll do that as unto the Lord. And you'd walk out and you're like, the boss asked me to do something else with no extra pay. Praise Jesus, PTL. You're like, you're weird, right? 
That, that's the way that we think. Jesus is saying, look, if you serve God at church with all of your strength and you never complain about being asked to do something, uh, all right, you're on a committee, you're on a team, you're on a ministry, and someone doesn't notice what you do. Jesus is saying you should have so much love and so much strength dedicated toward God, it doesn't bother you. I mean, it's just like honesty off the back of a politician. So also, the mind... You should be so enamored with the greatness of God. You should be thinking about theology. And you should be thinking about doctrine all of the time to where thoughts of God and His greatness consume you. And just kind of like the old John Barry song, uh, I think about it all the time. Jesus is saying, look, as long as you think about God all the time and you love Him with your mind above all else, it means that you're riding down the road or you're, you're riding on your animal back in that day. And thoughts of making more money, psh, no problem, I'm thinking about God. Jesus, Mr. Lawyer Man, as long as you have always loved God with every minute and every second of your life perfectly, and if you have loved every person you've ever met perfectly, you have no worries. You're perfect. You're going to be in heaven. You've got no reason to worry about hell where the worm dieth not and to where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and there will be darkness and separation from God forever in the presence of... No, you don't have to worry about hell at all. You're good to go. Somebody noticed the catch. Jesus is pointing him to the law, saying if you really understand God's law, you'll understand you can never be good enough. And I think for some of us who may have been saved here for a while, we need to get with the gospel and understand that you, everybody right here, you can never, ever, 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 never, ever be good enough for God to approve of you. Once again, welcome to Rocky Mount Baptist Church. That means that you could put on your good set of behavior. You can start to try to honor your wife and your husband and love them and do the best job. But God will always say, not good enough. Because we've got all that junk in the past. Even if we could start being perfect from today to the end of our lives, we've got all of that stuff and it needs to be paid for. Jesus is pointing them to the law, saying that's the point. The point, hear me this morning, the point is you are not good enough. You can't be good enough. You will never be good enough. That's why Jesus That's the gospel. But notice how the questions are manifested through the heart. He says in verse number 29, this is interesting, the lawyer can't let it, he can't let it rest. And I'm not going to tell any lawyer jokes. Because by the way, some of you students, if you're looking for what the Lord would have you to do, you can use a law degree to the glory of God. And I think that we could agree, church, that we need more Christian God-fearing lawyers in the U.S. Amen? We should never try to demean that profession to young Christian students. We should try to elevate that position and say, if God leads you to do that, knock it out. Go for it. Amen? All right. So, I don't want to get, I'm going to get worked up there if we don't go on. Okay. Verse 29. And he said, desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who, 
And who is my neighbor? Now, right here, he is that guy. If you've ever been in class before, you know there is that guy and that girl. They're the type that when it's, I mean, class is getting ready to get out on Friday afternoon and the professor is getting ready to let everybody go, they say, excuse me, didn't we have some homework that we're supposed to turn in on Monday? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And the teacher's like, oh, that's right, I forgot. Thank you for reminding me, Mr. That Guy. And and then everybody else in the class is like, okay, do we torture them before we kill them, or do we just want to make it quick and easy? That time, I remember in, when I was taking Greek in seminary, and our professor was um, outlining the class and saying, here are the requirements. I mean, Greek is, it's, it's hard. There are 24 different ways to say the word the in Greek, just, just, to, just to put it out there, all right? Case endings and whatnot. And, and Dr. Williams went through all that, and then there's one guy that said, Excuse me, sir, I'm more of a Green Beret mentality myself. Would it be, would there be any way possible, I'm not making this up, would there be any way possible that we could tack on some more so it would be a little bit more challenging? And at that moment, the Lord told me and reminded me that I carry a pocket knife in my book bag. Right? It's like, what are you doing? No! Don't be that guy! And those people are oblivious too. Like, what? I don't ask too many questions and it's like 15 after and the class should close. Here's what this guy does. And who is my neighbor? You almost want to go back and get in the Bible and get in between him and Jesus and just smack him. That was my mom's thing. If she saw somebody not behaving they should, the way that they should, it just makes me want to smack them. Right? It's just one of those, you're just like, man, the guy's so annoying. And notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't do what your pastor just demonstrated. And he also doesn't do what some of us would think about doing. Verse 30, Jesus replied. Not Jesus exclaimed. He replied. Whenever you share the gospel with a person, even if they are condescending and you reply to them, the Holy Spirit will use your humility and use your grace to break down those walls of hardness. Here's a story. He says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers. And notice the literary device here. He's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and then he fell among robbers. Not a good thing. They stripped him and beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by a, now by chance, a priest, top dog, was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, person who was born to serve God within that one tribe, the Levites, they were dedicated to serving God. This is his job, his life, to show the mercy of God to his people. Notice, when he came to that place, he saw him and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had, help me out, church, he had what? Compassion. Same word that's used for Jesus when he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which was the way that they medicated wounds in that time. And he set him on his own animal, brought him into an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii or two coins and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Pretty interesting, right? The guys who should have done the neighborly duty did not do it. Just a little background here. You say, Jeff, okay, what is the deal with the Samaritans? We know that the Jews did not like the Samaritans. I've tried to find an American equivalent like 
this group hates this group. But even back in the 60s and the 70s, and there are still racial issues today, we do not have an American equivalent. This was a group. Now imagine if you had been raised as a Jewish child in that time, boy and girl, and you had been told that you show friendship and you show mercy to your fellow Jews and especially not to a Samaritan to the point that they were not considered to be worthy in any respect. Um, for those of you history nerds, in 233 B.C., this goes back to some of that old racial uh, unreconciliation when the Jews were trying to, to fight the Greeks and um, the breakup from, from Alexander's empire. Uh, this is what happened. They were very bad off and the Samaritans formed a larger army and pillaged the area of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas and actually took Jewish Captives. So in other words, they kicked the Jews while they were down. That simply added to the hatred between the two groups. But Jesus in this story tells that it was a Samaritan who reached out. Remember Paige Patterson, he's the, the president of Southwestern Seminary, the place that I went out in Texas. And he told back in the 60s when he was preaching a revival in Macomb, Mississippi. And it was, you know, tough times there. And he says, we stopped with the pastor at this this uh, this gas station, he says, there was a black man there who was an attendant. And Dr. Patterson shares Jesus with everybody. He says, I asked the man's name, and the man says, my name's Willie. He says, well, Willie, have you ever heard? And he began to go into the gospel, and Willie was not a believer. But Dr. Patterson, a white man visiting Macomb, Mississippi in the 60s, led Mr. Willie, this black guy, to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, what had happened is one of the Klan people saw that, and they told the pastor, we are coming to your revival tonight and we are going to run that preacher out on a limb. And Dr. Patterson, do you know what he changed his sermon? I mean, would you change your sermon if you knew? And he says it was like a redneck entourage. All these pickup trucks came, for, just tons of them, and they piled in the church. All of it. In the 60s in Mississippi, the Klan was no joke. He said, I felt led to change my sermon to the title, all racists go to hell. It's not very seeker sensitive. But he said, I preached against racism with everything that I had. He said, and I stood at the front at the end. And he says, after the church service was over, he says, every single one of the clansmen got up and walked out. Maybe some of them got saved later. But I'm what I was like. I like this guy. Man, I, I can stand behind someone like that. So we don't even necessarily have an American equivalent, even with what has happened in the past. But the point was, Jesus asked this guy the question in verse 36. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The man had to answer, verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus says, you go and do likewise. But honestly, when we read this story as Americans, there's not a lot that we can really connect with because of that racial issue there. And I was thinking about this. I said, you know, we're talking about reaching out to people. We're talking about going beyond our friendships. We're talking about reaching out to foreigners. I just imagine, what, what, what if it is the case that maybe some of you, you've, you've followed the Lord and you want to reach out? But there's someone that you know on your job and the Holy Spirit has said, I want you to share the gospel with them. But you've taken the easy way out. We still okay, church? You know that you've taken the coward's way out. 
You notice that that person is having marriage problems, they're having financial problems, they're having all sorts of issues that are simply letting other people know that that there's something that Jesus is needed here. Find it interesting in this story that the two who knew the most about God probably were the ones that passed Him by. Do you think that we can be filled with knowledge about God but not love for people? Did you know that you can be, and I, I heard this in a growing up, they're a strong Christian, which means that they know what all the big words mean in the Bible. That, that's, that's what it means. But you can know all that stuff and have no love. The Apostle Paul says that if we have no love, we're like a clanging cymbal. Not in a band, not in this drum kit up here, but just somebody walking down the street just banging a cymbal as loud as it can. It's like, stop, it's annoying. One thing I've seen God do is I see some people Maybe somewhat like the Samaritan, they say, you know what, I don't know that much about Jesus, but I came and I got saved and I'm serving Jesus Christ. And often they will go and they will tell their friends and their family about the gospel much easier than some of us who've been raised in church. Y'all okay? It's so easy to become like the Pharisees and to become like the Levite and like the priest to where we pass over four questions and then we're finished. Here's our action points. We have to understand, church, that our questions reveal our heart. Verse 29, he's asking, who is my neighbor? You know what he was asking? He was looking for exceptions not to show God's grace to certain people versus saying, Jesus, how can I be a loving person? We see this manifested in the church today to where people say, don't, do I have to go to church to be saved? Well, that should not be the question. The question should be, if Jesus has saved me, what can I do for Him? Amen? Well, I mean, what, what can I do for Jesus? And the question of Jesus is so full of love, then man, how can I show love to people who need it? Second question. Who have you, who have we of a church passed over? Notice the Levites. And the priests, they passed over. They did not want to be inconvenienced. You say, now hold on, Jeff. I've given time. I've given, I've given money to the church. I've, look, and let me, let me just say, say a word here. I talked to some, some senior citizens. This is even before I was a pastor. And, and sometimes it seems like they can get discouraged because they can't do as much as they used to be able to do physically. Listen, if you're a senior citizen here, you ought to serve. You ought to pray. Even if you can't do things physically, even more than you did in your younger years. Amen? I love Adrian Rogers. It seemed like people said the older he got and he passed away in his mid-70s. The older he got, the more fired up he got. Because guess what? If statistics hold true, those of you who are senior citizens are closer to the prize than a younger person. That's kind of a non-politically correct thing to say. But here's the thing then. When you've got all of those years of experience and wisdom and serving people and loving people, you've got so much that you can share for the church. Keep us on track for the glory of God. That's why God gave elders. It doesn't necessarily mean an age group. But man, how awesome as it is to be serving Jesus for years upon years upon years and to be slowly softened by His grace. Now, some of us have met older people that have not served Jesus for years and they have been hardened by hatred. And I will not ask for an amen on that. We've seen what the effects of time and of bitterness and of unforgiveness and of greed and of selfishness can do. And it's a pitiful sight to see an older man and an older woman absolutely turn inward. But what a majestic testimony 
to see the grace of God in the life of a senior citizen who has experience in the gospel. For those of us who still have our health, may it be that we pour out our strength, our time, and our energy to crossing over the road to find people we don't even know. Once again, thank you guys for your obedience and being an example to us, using your lives to go share the gospel with people in Costa Rica. Number three, are we willing to have compassion upon and reach out to strangers and foreigners like Jesus did with you? According to Scripture, we were once foreigners, we were once far away from God, but Jesus intervened. Finally, and number four, the question, are we willing to be inconvenienced and to show mercy to those whom we have not yet met? but desperately need to meet Jesus. I think that if we just get over our fears of new people or going out and doing new things, it could be that God provides you with the greatest friend with someone that you have not yet met. Here's our final statement. This is from William Edgar Sanger, who's a British pastor, and he said, and I quote, How shall I feel at the judgment if multitudes of missed opportunities pass before me in full review and all my excuses prove to be disguises of my cowardice and my pride. Honestly, before God, I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be proud. And I don't want to be a coward. And if you fall, or if you have fallen into any of those groups, let today be a time to where we say, Lord Jesus, please take my pride. Please take my fears. And I want to be a witness for you to reach out in 2013.